Welcome to the Modern Law Library. I'm your host, Lee Rawls. And as we're closing out a year that's been one that I think all of us want to turn the page on, I have asked some other ABA Journal staff members to come on so that we could all discuss what this year was like for us as readers. Now, if any of you listen to some other ABA Journal podcasts, there may be some familiar voices. I am being joined by Stephanie Francis Ward of the Asked and Answered podcast. Stephanie, hello. Hello. And if you listen to the Legal Rebels podcasts, then Victor Lee and Lyle Moran may be familiar voices to you. Hi, Lee. Hi. And then finally, we're joined by Amanda Robert, who is another reporter here at the ABA Journal. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello. All right. So I don't know about the rest of you, but this year was a strange one for me as a reader because everything else was so stressful. I thought for sure I would maybe even be reading more as an escape, but I found it really hard to concentrate on reading for pleasure with everything else that was going on in the pandemic and the news. So that was kind of my experience, but I'm curious what it's been like for the rest of you. I'll, I'll start with Victor. Victor, what was this year like for you as a reader? Yeah, kind of similar. I mean, I felt like you know, we were just inundated with so much information, you know, first with COVID and then with the election and then with everything, you know, and plus the nature of our jobs, you know, we're reading all the time, you know, we're reading research materials, we're reading, you know, articles that we have to edit, we have to, you know, do this and do that. You know, I think when I just got home and I want, I just wanted to, not got home, I, I work from home now. So when I was, <laughs> when I <laughs> was off the clock, I think I just wanted to relax and just not have to read. So I, I ended up watching a lot of television, listening to a lot of music. I didn't, I didn't read as much as I usually do uh, in a given year. And I think it was, just, it was just too much for me as well. Stephanie, was that your experience or did you kind of have something different? I would kind of say the same thing, but also I usually like to read as an escape. And one thing about the pandemic has been that I think we've really had to focus on how we manage our anxiety. So uh, during the summer, I decided to reread the um, Little House on the Prairie books. And then I get to, you know, all of the the sicknesses and the problems. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to read this now. This is like, <laughs> no, I want some happy news. <laughs> Wait, I forgot Mary caught an infection and went blind. You don't want to hear that during the pandemic. You don't. No. How about you, Lyle? You know, I actually turned to a, a number of sports books just because, you know, for a time we didn't even really have any live sports going on. So it was one way to like still have, you know, that sports escape. Um, and so that was actually a nice way to like take a break from the day-to-day -day politics. I reread Andre Agassi's book, Open, which is just both very interesting and well-written as well. And he was kind of my favorite tennis player. So that was just one example of like a, I guess, a fun way to take my mind off all the more serious things. And Amanda, how about you? Yeah, I had a similar experience where I thought, you know, being at home and having a little bit more free time, not being able to go anywhere that I would read more. But I was looking back over my um, list of books that I keep in Goodreads and only read about half of what I thought I would read this year. And my list of wanting to read books just kept getting longer and longer through the year. Yeah, that's something I should say. Even though the number of books that I read didn't increase very much, 
uh, and in fact decreased from the year before, the number of books I purchased remained pretty steady. So uh, I'm hoping that this holiday and the new year maybe gives us some more time that we feel like we can devote to reading. So just to start off with, I'd love to do a round robin and get a suggested book that you read this year that helped take your mind off things. And I guess I'll, I'll kick it off. There is an Irish mystery writer named Lucy Foley, who wrote two really great books that I read this year called The Hunting Party and The Guest List. And they were really well done mysteries involving essentially isolated groups of friends, one in an island, one out, you know, as a hunting party in sort of like a forest preserve. And so it was a little bit like a, a closed door mystery. And I really didn't think of anything beyond who are the killers uh, while reading those books. And so weirdly, that that was relaxing to me. Stephanie, you mentioned that there was a book series as well, aside from Little House on the Prairie, that you got into. Could you talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. But it wasn't a series. This summer, I became obsessed with Betty Broderick again. Um, and like Victor, I was watching a lot of TV and uh, the USA Network had like a mini series on about her story for quick synopsis of Betty Broderick. In 1991, she was convicted of murdering her husband, Dan Broderick. And he was a former Gray Carey Ames and Fry lawyer. And she also was convicted of murdering his new wife, Linda, who had worked as a receptionist at his office building. And that's how they met when Dan and Betty were still married. So this book is by a late author named Bella Stumbo, who was an incredibly talented investigative reporter. She got really great details. And she was also a really good writer. And it has so many details about Betty and Dan Broderick's lives in the 1980s and early 1990s. And that's around the same time that I moved to uh, California and started my career writing about lawyers in the Daily Journal. And she had such great details. It was really interesting to me. I was struck by the way, I think, you know, the profession has really changed since the late 80s and early 1990s in, in many ways. And thanks to those details, it kind of made it crystal clear for me. Lyle, you mentioned that uh, sports was a little bit of an escape for you. Was there any other book that you'd recommend to readers that you just enjoyed and helped take your mind off everything else we were going through and thinking about? Yeah, you know, there was one called The Boys of Winter, The Untold Story of a Coach, a Dream, and the 1980 Olympic Hockey Team by Wayne Coffey. And that is actually a book I saw recommended in the... Um, San Diego Union Tribune sports section, you know, sometime I think this summer they had a list of best sports books and that was one I hadn't read. And so, you know, what intrigued me was a few of the players on that team were from Boston University where I went to school and like grew up going to the hockey games there. And it was really well done in the way the book was written because it would talk about, you know, the big game against Russia. But then if there was like a certain play or a goal scored it mentioned, it would then go into the backstory of the, you know, the player and where they grew up and, um, you know, how that history kind of shaped their approach to playing. It went into a lot as well about the coach, Herb Brooks, and just kind of his impulsive nature and just seemed like things really hung on on a thread. And, you know, we look back and just say, oh, this team was victorious. They knocked off the the Russians. But, you know, there was a lot of things behind the scenes where I think people wouldn't have thought they would make it to that point. So I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I definitely would recommend it to those who are into hockey or just into the Olympics in general. I think that a lot of hockey fans have already read this book, but 
in case you are interested in, say, you know, the Soviet Union or, or hockey, there was a great book that I read, I think actually at the end of last year, called The Russian Five, A Story of Espionage, Defection, Bribery, and Courage. And that's by Keith Gave. I believe that's how you say his name. And he was a journalist who ended up being involved in the defection of uh, one of the hockey players. And so he tells that story. So any hockey fans out there, sounds like you have two more books you can read. Victor, <laughs> I know you're a sports aficionado as well, although I don't think hockey's your game. Any any books that you read this year that helped give you that same kind of release that sports usually does? Yeah, well, um, I mean, just kind of on that sports topic, and this wasn't the main one that I that I, I was going to talk about, but there was a book by Jeff Perlman about the um, Los Angeles Lakers. And growing up, I was a big Lakers fan. I, I loved I loved the Showtime Lakers. I loved Magic. I loved Kareem. I loved all those guys. But uh, this book focuses on the Shaq Kobe Lakers and Phil Jackson, and you know the feud that kind of enveloped between those guys, and also touched in very great detail on Kobe Bryant's sexual assault case uh, that popped up in two thousand four, I believe. It was one of those books where I thought, you know, obviously the timing was was interesting because I think the book came out like only a couple of months after Kobe Bryant died. And uh, there were a lot of things about the case I had forgotten about, even as a sports fan, uh, you know, as a someone who follows the legal industry and, and you know, criminal justice and whatnot. There were a lot of things I had just forgotten about that case. Uh, so it was, just ni- it, it was just nice to kind of just relive some of that. And plus, you know, I, I was really big into that team at the time, so it was fun to kind of read about some of the inside stories about, you know, what they really thought of each other, even though we know pretty much what some of the players thought of each other. But the main book that I want to talk about was this book. It was called Mr. Rutledge of South Carolina. It's an older book. It's by um, a historian named Richard Berry. And he, he writes about John Rutledge, who has kind of gone down in history as a trivia answer. Like, uh, he was the first Supreme Court justice to get rejected by the Senate. He was given a recess appointment to be chief justice after John Jay stepped down. So he was technically the second chief justice of the of the United States. And he served for a couple of months, but then he got rejected by the full Senate. He made some controversial statements about a peace treaty that John Jay negotiated. And so his own party kind of kind of took him down, which is kind of interesting. But what kind of struck me more about this book is that, you know, we've kind of forgotten about all the stuff that he did before that, because he, he's kind of gone in, inf- in infamy as a result of that Senate rejection and kind of dwarfs all the things that he did before. I mean, at one point, he was almost like a virtual dictator of South Carolina during the Revolutionary War. Like he actually had like um, pretty much broad powers to do anything within the state's interest because they were constantly under siege or being occupied by British forces and things like that. So it was a pretty dire time, and, and the people of, of the state were like, okay, look, you, know, you do whatever you need to do to, to help us through this. He signed the Declaration of Independence, and he played a major role in, in the Constitutional Convention. One of the things that I didn't even know about was that I guess he... He served on the committee that actually that actually drafted the document, and there were some things that he just like just just put in on his own. You know, I mean, that that weren't debated by the constitutional um, convention as a whole, but were fairly benign, fairly uh, uh, non-controversial things. But the idea that like that someone could have just you know put things into the constitution, you know, on his own without you know significant input just really kind of struck me as as odd, given how you know, how important the document was and how much we revere it even to this day. And so it, it was. It was just interesting, just kind of, kind of reading about some of that and, and learning about him. And you know, obviously, uh, this book. You know, some people have said that the biographer you know, might may have fallen in love with the subject a little bit. That he may have, you know, wanted to present him in a in, in a more positive light than than was merited. But 
then just kind of like looking at some other sources about Rutledge and whatnot, it seems like you know, at the very least his role at the convention was confirmed by multiple accounts. So, so, so that, that just kind of struck me as interesting. Yeah, you don't really think about the Constitution that we, you know, so many of the clauses were heavily debated. You don't think that, oh, well, part of it might have essentially just been a post-it note that someone stuck on a page and we now consider as just as valid as the rest of it. Yeah. And Amanda, how about you? What did you read for just taking your mind off everything? Yeah, so I um, one thing I did do in the beginning of the pandemic was um, I started taking a lot of virtual classes, um, I think as a way to distract myself. And I took one from the Steppenwolf Theater here in Chicago. It was a writing class and um, discovered Samantha Irby. She's a Chicago writer, and she just came out with a book. Um, it's called Wow, No Thank You. And it's a um, collection of essays. And um, I just, I fell in love with her. I think she's amazing. She um, has this sense of humor and honesty with her writing that is super relatable. And I actually listened to part of her book as an audio book. I wanted to hear her narrate her stories. And um, she also just has one of those voices that you really like to listen to and can laugh along with her. So yeah, she wrote about everything from home ownership to friend dates as a 40-year-old to, um, you know, finding the resolve to leave the house um, for a night out when you really don't want to, to 90s mixtapes. And that essay I thought was really funny because it was a lot of songs I listened to um, when I was younger. I've read and enjoyed her work too, but I love that you talked about audiobooks. Now, one of the major things that changed in my life, and I think in, in yours as well, guys, is that Instead of spending up to sometimes an hour, hour and a half commuting downtown to the Chicago Loop office where we all work, except for Lyle. Lyle's our remote worker. But all of a sudden, this hour that I was used to sitting in the car listening to podcasts or audiobooks, that same dynamic wasn't there. And it did take me a couple months to get back into listening to podcasts and listening to audiobooks just as I was at home. But some of the audiobooks I listened to were really great at holding my interest. So I would just like to talk about a couple of those. One of them was Eric Larson's book, Dead Wake. And Eric Larson may be a familiar name to you guys based on the fact that he wrote a famous Chicago book, The Devil in the White City. But Dead Wake is about the sinking of the Lusitania. And I don't know what it is about me that makes me want to listen to disaster books, but this was this was a quality one. So um, I can recommend that. And again, similarly in the This Did It For Me, This May Not Do It For All My Listeners, Anthony Beaver, who is a a uh, World War II historian, a British historian who concentrates on World War II. I listened to his entire The Second World War book. I think it was more than 20 hours, but it got me through, I want to say, uh, May in the pandemic. So thank you to him for his exhaustive coverage of the Second World War. Who else listened to audiobooks a lot this past year? I have a desire to start doing that because um, I like to walk and listen to podcasts. And then I started thinking like, you know what, I could listen to audiobooks, but I have not done so yet. I would love to hear though, what have been the podcasts that got you through this year? 
Ooh, you know what? One I really like is long form. And I don't know if you guys have heard that one at all, but they interview other writers, often journalists, you know, write narrative um, nonfiction. And they just really have a, I don't know, a great mix of writers who range in the topics they cover. And, you know, even one recently, they had Wright Thompson, um, who again, sports theme, he's a sports writer for ESPN, but just kind of the, they really like to not so much just talk about what they've written about, but their approach and their background. And it was kind of funny because then Wright Thompson was like, why did I agree to this? Like, I'm, you know, having to talk about things I don't want to share with the public. And so they really ask great questions too. So that for, um, you know, podcast listeners, that's, yeah, long form is one I would recommend. Stephanie, do you listen to a lot of audiobooks or podcasts? I listen to podcasts nonstop. And I didn't notice much of a difference because I have gotten obsessed with cleaning my house during the pandemic, and I listen to podcasts while I do that. Um, You're welcome over to mine anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I might take you up on that lead. Don't be surprised. Um, so, but one that I found, well, I have two. I have a lot of podcasts I really enjoy. My favorite one of all time is one that's called, it's called Watch What Crappens, and it's a parody well, basically, it's a rehash of all the Bravo TV housewife shows. Watch um, what crappens. <laughs> watch what crappens after watch what happens. And it's two very talented hosts um, who also have an improv background. And that's great for entertainment. Um, for not so much entertainment, but it was fascinating, was I discovered the Oath podcast this summer. And that is by uh, a former federal prosecutor, Chuck Rosenberg. And I discovered him because he had an interview of Robert Mueller about his life. And the two, uh, it was interesting as uh, just a general reporter and a legal affairs reporter. The two men are friends um, and they tried cases together. So Chuck would ask Mueller a question and it would be a yes or no question. He'd say yes or no as he was very well trained to do as a trial lawyer. And then Rosenberg would draw out more from him, as he's also trained to do as a prosecutor. So it was just very, very good. And the series focuses on people in high-level government jobs, like Mueller. Really good. I love that. How about you, Amanda? So I don't think I listen to any other audiobooks this year. Um, and I'm like you. I used to listen to podcasts a little more regularly before being at home. One that I'm still trying to keep up with is The Daily, the New York Times podcast, but I find that I don't always listen to it on the day. It's usually a few days later. And actually, one that I just started, my sister-in-law told me about this podcast called Smartless. It's Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett interviewing people just from different walks of life, and they're pretty funny. So that's been kind of a fun one. That does sound fun. Victor, how about you? What audiobooks or podcasts did you enjoy this year? I was never a big audiobook person. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think I think for me, it's like it was always been a visual thing for me. Uh, I don't know. Like sometimes I just feel like, you know, it, it, like the audio for me kind of loses a little bit, especially if it's not narrated well, I guess. Uh, then sometimes I, I end up just tuning out or not paying close attention. So I tend to try to focus on the regular books. As for podcasts, um, I mean, <laughs> this isn't going to be nearly as highbrow as, as everyone else, but uh, I like to listen to the, the official Manchester United podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I am a big Manchester United fan, even though we're terrible right now. Yeah, so much so that I refer to the team as we. I'm one of those people. And so, um, 
yeah, like I enjoy listening to the podcast. I mean, very often they'll have like former players on. They'll have um, you know pundits kind of talking about what's wrong with the team, which these days is lots of things. And uh, yeah, it's it, it's just a fun way for me to just kind of not focus on serious things. Although for me, it is serious, I guess. So that that's kind of a lie. Yeah, I, I um, you know during the summertime, especially like when I mean the way the European season goes is that like you you're only allowed to buy players at certain designated intervals in the during the year and one of them is during the summer so during the summertime when the transfer window was open as they call it you know every day it was like, oh is united going to get this player oh is united going to get this player oh is united going to get going to get this player and usually the answer was no but <laughs> it was it was fun to listen to just just to kind of you know go through the highs and lows of that yeah don't worry about being lowbrow i think that i have about three hockey podcasts I listen to specifically just about the Vancouver Canucks. So <laughs> uh, when it comes to being obsessive about sports, I've gotten there. I, I don't know, man. Hey, um, Lee, um, when we were up in Vancouver for that ABA meeting, did you get to go to a Canucks game? I didn't. And the thing is, so for our listeners, the first time that Lyle and I met each other was at an ABA meeting, an ABA mid-year meeting a couple of years ago when we were in Vancouver. And I didn't get into the Vancouver Canucks until about six months later. So oh I had this opportunity where I was in the city and could have gotten so much merch. Alas. Well, you got to go back because I went to a game and they serve some very good poutine at the games there, which I don't <laughs> think they serve at the hockey arenas in the U.S. So um, plan a future trip post-COVID. Uh, you know, once our passports work again, I know that that I'd love to to travel. Was that something that any of you really did this year? Did you read about travel or was that something that you sort of were like, well, that's not going to happen for a while? You know, Amanda, do you think you did any of that or no? I don't think I did. And I did subscribe briefly to this um, like travel newsletter that came out every Friday and just with like different ideas of things you could do after the pandemic. But then I think I got depressed and I stopped reading it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does seem like a thing that's still fairly far away. The other question that really occurred to me as I was prepping for this podcast was whether or not you noticed a theme to your reading this year. I wouldn't have been able to tell you until I went back and looked at everything. But, you know, I've said before, I read a lot of books that are about disasters. But this year, in particular, it looks like I was really interested in reading about falls of civilization and got really into, say, the Ottoman Empire. And I can't really recommend a great book on that because I never found one that I was satisfied with that told the story the way I wanted it to be told. But that's not something I could have really told you before I went back and looked at my reading list and was like, oh, you read so much about collapsing civilizations. Stephanie, did you notice any themes to your reading? Yes, and I'd say it wasn't just reading, uh, but all of the media I consumed. I grew up in the rural West, and I live a very different life today in the north side of Chicago. And during the pandemic, I have been reading and watching and listening a lot to people's experiences living now in the rural West. You know, I was watching a documentary about cowboys, and I, you know, I got into Alaskan bush people. Um, which is another reality show. So I think because we're kind of stuck here, I'm just really, I'm always curious about other people's daily life experiences, but it's gotten bigger during the pandemic because we're in our bubble. I mean, I haven't even 
the the furthest I went was to Wisconsin over the border, and that was back in March before the quarantine orders. We're kind of locked in place here in Illinois, you know? Yeah, we are. But uh, Lyle, you aren't in California. What have you noticed when it comes to what this year was like for you as a reader? Any themes? You know, um, maybe somewhat related to what Stephanie was sharing, just in terms of like, you know, reading about what it's like to be in a certain lifestyle and all that. You know, shortly after what uh, George Floyd was killed by police, one of my cousins asked, you know, if some of the family on my mom's side, the family, my cousin Claire, she proposed that we maybe have like a group discussion about the book Between the World and Me as kind of a jumping off point to discuss like, you know, what it's like for African Americans in the U.S. and the challenges they face. And so, you know, that book by um, Ta-Nehisi Coates was really, I don't know, I just stark and striking in terms of like, you know, what his upbringing was like. And there, I, you know, I pulled up a quote from it just for this discussion where he said, there is the burden of living among dreamers and there is the extra burden of your country telling you the dream is just noble and real and you are crazy for seeing the corruption and smelling the sulfur. So that to me was just um, one of the books from this year that will stick with me and really, even though it was written a few years back, spoke into the moment of, you know, the protests about racial justice and police brutality that really kind of dominated the headlines this summer. Victor, did you notice any themes to your reading this year? Not really. I mean, I think, you know, I kind of, just kind of looking back on the things that I read and also just consumed and whatnot, I think I, I wouldn't really know what kind of theme to put on it as, as far as just, you know, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I tend to like, to like to read a lot of history in general, just like kind of looking back and, and, and reading about events. The historical books I read this year were mostly law-related, a lot of them were political related. I mean, uh, and I think maybe that's just uh, that was just a product of, of the year and the fact that like you know the election was on everyone's mind and it was just easy to kind of focus on uh, on that because it was, it was already so prevalent. And plus, you know, one thing that you know is kind of interesting is just you know kind of looking at this election and, and kind of looking at how elections in the past have unfolded. I mean, one of the books I read was about the last time there was a major, um, a, you know, a major <laughs> dispute over who won the over who won the election, not 2000, but um, in 1876, when Rutherford B. Hayes um, triumphed over Samuel Tilden by one electoral vote. And basically, there were like three or four states where, you know, complete slates of electors were replaced. And, you know, there were all kinds of deals being made. And there was a commission that was that was established to try to uh, determine who the who was the rightful winner. So, you know, maybe maybe that was <laughs> maybe that was foreshadowing uh, or to an extent of what happened this year. But you know, I don't I don't think it was necessarily conscious on, on my on my part at the time, except that you know I thought it would just be an interesting thing to read about. Amanda, how about you? Any themes that you noticed beyond you know lessons you were trying to learn? I was just thinking about it, and I think I read a lot more um, memoirs or personal stories like I was talking about with Samantha Irby earlier. Um, and I don't think that's typical for me in a, in a normal year. I read a few, but most of the books I can think of reading this year were all um, personal stories. So I read Educated by Tara Westover earlier in the year. She, if you haven't heard of her, she was um, like the youngest of seven to survivalists in Idaho. And she ended up going on to college and even further for her education and then uh, similar to what Lyle was saying, a friend and I read How to Be an Anti-Racist together um, after the events with George Floyd and um, everything else unfolded throughout the summer. 
and my list of books to read, their memoirs too. <laughs> so I think that's been my main theme for some reason this year. It's interesting that you say that because a lot of what I read that was um, in the more historical or memoir area was oral histories or hearing directly from people who'd lived through um, events. And I think that may have even been why I felt dissatisfied with the Ottoman Empire books I was reading. I wasn't getting a lot of primary source material. But when it comes to memoirs that really helped me out, Betty McDonald was an author who was particularly active during the Great Depression, but she also wrote before and after. If any of you have ever seen the movie The Egg and I, it's a black and white movie, it's a classic, and it's about her experience moving to the Pacific Northwest and trying to launch an egg farm with her husband, who she eventually divorces. But the memoir of hers that I read and really helped me this year was called The Plague and I. And it was about her experience as someone with tuberculosis recovering for a year away from her family in a sanatorium. But she writes about it in such a wry and funny and clever way while not hiding the fact that, yes, this was hard. And her work during the Great Depression was, yes, this is hard, but also let's find a way to, to laugh and get through. So that's that's a memoir that helped me this year. And so if anyone else listening feels like they want to check that out, uh, those have been reprinted. Now, I'm going to ask Stephanie, when you were reading this year and looking at people's lives, were there any memoirs or autobiographies that stuck out to you? I know. I don't think I read any memoirs this year. I did start to read, but did not finish. Someone wrote a fictional account of the life of John Kennedy Toole, who wrote my favorite book ever, A Confederacy of Dunces. And I still need to finish that. How about you, Victor? Did you read any memoirs? Ah, okay, don't judge me. Um, <laughs> it's a safe space. Yeah, okay, so on my website, I like to I like to write it for myself sometimes. It's a good way. I look at it as an as, as a writing exercise and a way for me to just, you know, practice and whatnot. And, you know, I can, I can write about stuff that I want to write about. So I write about music a lot. And so one thing that I read was I read Jessica Simpson's autobiography. It's called Open Book. It's actually very good. It's well-written. I don't know if she was just... No, I think it's pretty clear she was playing dumb all those years, that she was just playing a role, that this was just what people expected, and she, she figured it was a good way to market herself. Um, you know, there were some genuine misunderstandings about certain things, but, you know, she, she's a lot savvier than, she, than, than, than I think people give her credit for. And her book is very well written, um, and it does kind of touch on the law a little bit because she does talk about her divorce from, uh, from Nick Lachey of 98 Degrees. But yeah, so, so that was, that was the memoir that I read this year. And, and, and actually, you know, it, it actually made me, it did make me kind of understand sort of, you know, the things that she was going through at the time and kind of have more, you know, I guess empathy for what she was going through and, and, and understand kind of like, you know, what that, what that must have been like for her. And there were some things I learned as well about her. So yeah, open book by Jessica Simpson. I'd actually recommend it. What's funny is that uh, that's on my to read list for 2021 because mm -hmm. a podcast that I enjoy called You're Wrong About, in which they debunk urban legends, is kind of the ethos of the podcast. Wonderful podcast. But they did a book club 
where they broke Jessica Simpson's autobiography into segments and they and they discussed it and even listening secondhand made me feel like this was a memoir that that I wanted to read too. So that's on my 2021. And speaking of that, uh, what are your top, either the top book you want to finish in 2021 or an area you want to read more in or about in 2021? Amanda, I'll start with you. So I have, I'm actually sitting next to a, a stack of books that I am planning on reading. Um, hopefully starting over the holiday break. But I um, already got a copy of Barack Obama's new book, A Promised Land. I've read his other books and um, really enjoyed those. So I'm looking forward to this one too. How about you, Lyle? And, you know, just speaking of the Obama family, I would recommend Becoming as a memoir um, by Michelle Obama. But in terms of next year, you know, one book I was thinking of reading is called Billion Dollar Loser. And it's about kind of the fall of WeWork. And I heard the author Reeves Wyman interviewed um, probably a couple months back. And then I think I read an excerpt either in the New Yorker or the Atlantic. I can't remember which one now. But that was one that I tend to like nonfiction and just like WeWork seemed like such a company on the up and up and they were everywhere and then they really crashed. So that was one I was thinking of reading in the new year. Stephanie, anything on your 2021 to read list? Well, so I think as soon as I get off this podcast and get my work done, I am going to download Samantha Irby's book. Wow, no, thank you that Amanda recommended because that looks really fun and enjoyable. And Victor, how about you? Anything you're looking forward to in 2021? Well, assuming Nicholas Shea doesn't write a book that I have to read. Um, <laughs> um, now, there's a book uh, that's actually on my Christmas list called Battle for the Marble Palace. Abe Fortas, Earl Warren, Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon, and the Forging of the Modern Supreme Court. So it's a very long title. But, you know, uh, actually, you know, nonfiction books tend to have long titles. Basically, it talks about the Abe Fortas, uh, the attempted um, nomination. Well, well, he was nominated, but uh, for Chief Justice. And um, Lyndon Johnson tried to nominate him after Earl Warren decided to retire. But then the Senate, in what was then you know fairly unprecedented, filibustered the um, the nomination, and he ended up not uh, getting the job. What ended up happening was that uh, Richard Nixon ended up getting to fill the seat, and he put Warren Burger in there instead. So it was a pretty consequential. It was a pretty consequential move. I mean, A. Fortas was uh, you know generally known as a very liberal judge. If he had been Chief Justice. Obviously, you know, the next decade or so would have would have unfolded, you know, very differently. Um, it ended up being a very consequential move and also kind of set the precedent for some of the more contentious um, confirmation battles that we've had since then. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, yeah, maybe maybe there's a theme there between, you know, the Rutledge one and then the Ford as being the unsuccessful uh, Supreme Court Chief Justice nomination, maybe, you know, just kind of focusing on uh, nominations that that didn't go through. But but yeah, that, that was the next one on my list. And if anyone is interested in sort of the mid-20th century uh, as a period of history, what's the name of your book, Victor? <laughs> oh, um, it's called Nixon in New York, uh, How Wall Street Helped uh, Richard Nixon Win the White House. And basically it looks at uh, his time at a uh, Wall Street uh, law firm prior to his successful 1968 campaign and how being at the law firm helps helps set the stage for his um, unlikely comeback and uh, presidency. So, thanks for that. Thanks for that plug. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, never never let a chance to plug something go by. And speaking of plugging something, if that sounds interesting to you, Victor and I did record an earlier episode about that book, but I think it was back in 2019. So, as I close out my year, 
There are patterns I fall into depending on the season. Like there are books I tend to read in the fall, books I tend to read in the winter, and books that I tend to read in the winter or authors I return to. For me, Terry Pratchett is a big one. And I still have books that I have not read or listened to of his. He was a British writer who, I guess I would say, um, he wrote the Discworld novels. I guess I would classify those in the science fiction fantasy genre. But I have been listening to the Tiffany Aching series on audiobook by Terry Pratchett. So that's kind of what I'm doing this this Christmas, this end of year, whatever you celebrate, whether it's looking towards the new year. Are there any books that you tend to go to at this time of year? Lyle? Good question. Um, especially with um, a little downtime coming up, I would say, you know, biographies or autobiographies, I just, it's a nice time, like as you're thinking about resolutions for the new year to like, just look at how other people lived their lives and overcame challenges. So I'll probably try and pick out a good one or two for the upcoming break. How about you, Stephanie? My tastes are actually a little opposite in the new year, and I tend to like to read fiction books from authors with similar backgrounds as me. And one of my favorite authors is Alice McDermott, and who fits that category. And I think I am going to read uh, maybe some of her new books once uh, January comes. Love that. How about you, Victor? No, not really. I don't. I don't. Um... I mean, occasionally, I'll, like if I feel like rereading something, you know, it won't be necessarily like a like a like a time trigger that does it. It'll it'll just be something I'll, I'll just like randomly like just think of something and I'll be like, oh, maybe I should read that again, or I should just read this again or read that. Um, I, I can't really say that I, I tend to revisit books unless it's something like that that happens. Mm-hmm. I'm a big revisitor. Amanda, how about you? Do you go back to books or different topics at different kinds of years? I don't really know. I think I'm more governed by just I have a list and I have to get through it eventually. So one I'm reading right now is just one I picked up at a bookstore, I think in January or February. And I'm like, I have to finish this book soon. And that's an experience that I hope we all get to have again in 2021 is walking into a bookstore and browsing. (laughs) I know that that's just really high on my list after I hope we all get the vaccine. But I want to thank all of you guys not just for appearing on this episode, but also being a great and supportive coworker structure for me during this year. And I want to thank our listeners too, because your involvement in the podcast and being able to see how many downloads we have and and listeners are really quite meaningful to me. So in this time when we're revisiting everything that went down in 2020 and looking forward to the new year, I just wanted to say thank you to you as a listener of the Modern Law Library. And if you're interested in discussing or recommending books to me for 2021, I would love to see them. The email address that you could send any of those to is books at abajournal.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening service.